come hang out with me as I count down the top three episodes of 2023, only here on the People Scientist Podcast. You are listening to The People Scientist. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, am a professor in nutrition with additional expertise in neuroscience and physiology. My goal is to give you practical and tangible information that is rooted in scientific evidence so you can walk away from this podcast with the tools you need to lead the healthy life you want to live. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 156, where I aim to arm us with some scientific information so that we can all become a little bit smarter and a little bit healthier with every new episode. How are you feeling today? I hope that I can add something positive and insightful for you in today's episode. As the year of 2023 is nearing a close, I'd like to take this time to go back and see which episodes were your favorite or which episodes were the most listened to this year. In 2023, I published 16 episodes, and this will be the 17th of the year 2023. This year, I actually published the fewest episodes compared to the last four years because I took a small break as I transitioned into my new role as an assistant professor. Thank you for allowing me to take that little break. Out of these 16 episodes, do any of them stand out to you as your favorite? For example, I covered the neuroscience of starting over and strategies to help us begin a new chapter in our life. I certainly put many of those strategies to good use this year as I moved into a new city and into a new job. I did an episode on the neuroscience of perseverance and how it can help us continue toward a goal despite the setbacks. In that episode, I talked about the beep test in that episode where you have to run between two spots before you hear the sound of a beep and how that is a very common test for perseverance when the scientist controls for level of physical fitness. In another episode, I posed a theory about whether or not we are addicted to our rises in insulin. I brought on two guest speakers onto the podcast, my sister Candace and Lieutenant Joseph Gills. In the episode with my sister, we talked about how our relationship with food was when we were growing up. We talked about intuitive eating. We talked about women's health and what nutrition clinical studies might be missing today. In the episode with Lieutenant Gills, we discussed a military perspective on leadership and what it took for him to lead his strike team to being the best in the Pacific Fleet competition of 2022. In another episode this year, I discussed how calorie restriction or fasting may amplify the activity of our hunger neurons and how it can reduce the activity of our impulse control brain regions, which may contribute to overeating and binge eating episodes and weight regain after weight loss. In another episode, I talked about the neuroscience of lying and what our eyes can tell us if someone is lying. So now that I've mentioned a handful of episode topics, Do any of them stand out to you as a particular favorite? So today, how about I do a countdown of the top three most listened to episodes this year on the People Scientist podcast. And I'll take you through each of those top three very briefly, the the most interesting points of those three episodes, let's say. And then let's see if your favorite happened to be in the top three most listened to episode. 
But before we do that countdown, let's get into a foregone fact where I share scientific finding from long ago. Bowden and Hughes all the way back in 1939 in the journal The Proceedings of the Royal Society wrote a paper on the mechanism of sliding on ice and snow. And I thought this would be a great topic choice for the foregone fact, considering that we're entering into the holiday winter season right now. These two scientists wrote that the friction between two metals becomes higher at higher temperatures as a metal softens. So imagine two softened metal slabs of gold trying to slide off of one another. They would become less able to slide off of one another as the temperature increases and as the gold softens. Now in the context of sliding on ice, the two speculate that ice skating may cause pressure melting on the ice. So small amounts of water are produced as a skater presses into the ice with their ice skate blade. This newly melted water may lubricate the surface of the ice, allowing there to be very little friction between the cold metal of the skate and the solid ice. The metal of an ice skate must therefore maintain its rigidity and its solid nature during ice skating to keep that friction low. Any idea on what metal makes up the blades of an ice skate? It is steel. Now steel is a combination of various elements the basis of it is iron and carbon, and sometimes a small amount of other elements may be added like boron. Do you want to guess the melting temperature of steel? Now bear in mind that we'd want it to be really high because we don't want the steel on an ice skate to soften. Otherwise, that would increase friction on the ice and that would slow the skater down. Well, the melting temperature of steel is typically above 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. That is incredibly high. So steel is an incredibly strong material that can withstand very high temperatures, making it the perfect material for an ice skate. So now, how about we get into today's topic on the top three most listened to episodes of 2023 on the People Scientist podcast. Let's start off with the third most listened to episode, which was episode 154, when nutritional science and drug addiction research collide. I was actually a bit surprised that this was in the top three episodes of 2023. In this episode, I spoke about the very popular medication on the market today, commonly referred to as brand names such as Wagovi or Ozempic. These medications are what we classify as semaglutides. Previously, this medication was prescribed to people with type 2 diabetes to help manage their type 2 diabetes and potentially to help in their weight management. Today, people are taking this medication just for weight loss and sometimes are obtaining this medication not by prescription, but they may be buying it over the internet from other countries or may be getting it from friends. So the medication is now being quote unquote potentially abused today as the latest weight loss drug. The reason why this medication may effectively induce weight loss is because it can induce what we call satiety. Satiety is that feeling of, hey, I've had enough. I'm good. I don't need to eat anymore. So people tend to feel less hungry and have less food cravings and therefore eat less when they take this medication. The neurobiology of this, for those who are interested, is briefly this medication, a semaglutide, 
acts on glucagon-like peptide 1, or GLP-1 receptors, in my favorite brain region, the nucleus of the tractus solitarius that sits at the very back of our brain. This is the brain region that regulates us being able to feel full, having feelings of satiety. But if these receptors in this brain region are activated too much, it could induce feelings of nausea, vomiting, and feeling overall unwell. Now that is a potential side effect to taking this medication. And that means that these receptors, these GLP-1 receptors in the nucleus of the tractus solitarius are being activated a bit too much by the medication. Imagine it as like a sliding scale. If you can imagine hunger is on the very far left of this scale, then let's say we've eaten some food, we feel satisfied, now the sliding scale is in the middle. And at the far right end of this scale is we're feeling overly full and nauseous and perhaps feeling sick overall. If the medications activate these GLP-1 receptors too much, it is like sliding that scale all the way to the right. But the hope by the physicians is that this medication brings the sliding scale right to the middle where we're feeling satisfied. But this medication, even though it is being quite frequently misused by some people who are not obese or who do not have type 2 diabetes, they're simply just trying to lose weight. This medication, on the other hand, has been intriguing to scientists lately as a treatment for drug addiction. Now, there are a lot of similarities between food craving and drug craving. If this medication can reduce food craving, then it is speculated that it may also reduce drug craving for those battling with drug use disorder. For things like individuals battling with alcohol use disorder, opioid use disorder, those who have a history of cocaine intake, methamphetamines, heroin, morphine, etc. In fact, in my previous lab in New York City at Mount Sinai Hospital, we conducted many preclinical studies in which we showed that activation of these exact same receptors that I was just speaking about, activation of the same receptors that this new weight loss medication, semaglutides, can act on, are the same receptors that can reduce nicotine craving and nicotine intake. And there's some interest to see if they can also reduce opioid craving and opioid intake. So this new interesting area of research is to see if this medication can help patients with drug addiction too, not just for individuals with type 2 diabetes. So that was episode 154, where I discussed some similarities between eating behavior and drug addiction and how this medication may tie those two fields together. So if you want to go back and give that one a listen, that might interest you. Now, what do we think was the second most listened to episode of 2023? It was episode 150, titled Three Easy Nutrition Strategies to Promote Brain Health, and mental well-being. In the 150th episode, and the second most listened to episode of 2023, I shared with you what I thought were three very relevant, heavily evidence-based and easy strategies that could promote brain health and mental well-being using nutrition. In this episode, the three things I mentioned were one, for us to obtain adequate magnesium, two, to follow a diet lower in advanced glycation end products, and three, to incorporate omega-3 fatty acids into our diet while trying our best to limit lipid peroxides. So very briefly, let's highlight each of these three. I think that magnesium is an incredibly important mineral for our mental health and energy levels because it is essential for so many things. Magnesium is essential in producing our energy molecule ATP, or adenosine triphosphate, 
Magnesium is essential to produce serotonin in our brain. And serotonin is that mood-stabilizing neurotransmitter. And then as a result, magnesium is important for the production of melatonin from serotonin as well. And melatonin is a hormone that is important for us to fall asleep and stay asleep. Magnesium is also important in blocking certain receptors in our brain that can contribute to hyperexcitability. More specifically, magnesium can antagonize NMDA receptors to help prevent excitotoxicity in our brain. So overall, magnesium is incredibly important to stop or give negative feedback to that stress response in our brain. Magnesium deficiency is therefore a way that we literally induce anxiety and insomnia in preclinical research. So we can study anxiety. We just reduce magnesium in the diet. So typical symptoms of magnesium deficiency include irritability, fatigue, mild anxiety, difficulty sleeping, probably some very common symptoms that many of us feel. The reality is too, the more stressed we are, the more we use up our magnesium. So if we are undergoing physiological stress, like intense exercise, fasting, demanding schedules and more, then magnesium deficiency may be even more common. In fact, some reports say up to 86% of us are not getting enough magnesium in our diet. So if you want the references that I use to support this research, you can go back to episode 150 to get those studies. But what is the takeaway of this then? So if you're trying to get more magnesium in your diet, what can you add to your diet? Well, some great sources of magnesium include dark chocolate, dark leafy greens, pumpkin seeds, oats, flax seeds, almonds, and black beans. So one meal that I had made for my students in a cooking demo to help them obtain their adequate magnesium levels is I used half a cup of oats with a banana, a quarter cup of pumpkin seeds, a couple tablespoons of flax seeds, and a little bit of dark chocolate. And that was a oatmeal breakfast meal that supplied a good source of magnesium. The second suggestion that I gave to promote brain and mental well-being was to limit our intake of advanced glycation end products. Now, this is something that I really believe can have a profound impact on our health and well being, and it really is not talked enough about. There's a tremendous amount of data to support the impact of advanced glycation end products on our health. What are advanced glycation end products, though? Well, essentially, they are the result of when a sugar has combined with a protein, fat, or DNA in our body. And this is seen as a bad thing because when the sugar has combined with cells in our body, this new complex can't work properly and often induces an immune response because this new molecule seems foreign to the body. The impact of advanced glycation end products is that there is a plethora of data indicating that eating a diet high in advanced glycation end products can lead to joint inflammation, leading to arthritis, skin aging, dementia, and potentially even major depressive disorder because of the inflammation that advanced glycation end products can result in. So then the question becomes, if advanced glycation end products might have a negative impact on our health, how can we limit them in our diet? The first suggestion I gave in episode 150 is to try our best to limit our intake of simple carbohydrates and sugars. This means limiting our intake of foods like candies, pastries, cakes, cookies, ice cream, sodas, sweet beverages that have been sweetened with things like sugar, syrups, and honeys, limiting our intake of white bread, white rice, and white pasta. 
The reason why this could help reduce advanced glycation end products is because advanced glycation end products can form in our body when there is an excess intake of sugar within our diet. The second way to limit the impact of advanced glycation end products is to reduce high heat, dry cooking of meats and grains and nuts. And that is because that cooking process can result in the formation of advanced glycation end products within the food itself. In many, many clinical trials, they have provided the exact same foods to the control and to the control group and to the group that are is being coined or labeled as the low advanced glycation end product group. The only difference between these two groups was simply the method of cooking. So for the group that was labeled as the low advanced glycation end product diet group, all they did was instead of giving them toasted bread, they gave them untoasted bread. Instead of giving them roasted nuts, they gave them unroasted raw nuts. And instead of cooking their meat, like grilling it at a high temperature with no moisture present, they had them cook their meat on a low temperature with water present as well as an acid like lemon juice or vinegar present. Because those can help reduce the production of advanced glycation end products in the foods. So to reduce advanced glycation end products, we simply want to avoid cooking meats on high heat without any water or moisture present. One of my students, when I was talking about advanced glycation end products, had asked about air fryers. Well, Falavina in the journal Food Chemistry in 2022 noted that an air fryer was better than a deep fryer in the context of producing advanced glycation end products. So deep frying something in an oil produces a lot of advanced glycation end products, which we want to avoid, but an air fryer is healthier in that context as less advanced glycation end products were produced. However, air frying still generates advanced glycation end products. So roasting in water would be a better option than air frying, but air frying is better than deep frying. So I think air frying could be a great alternative if you're going to deep fry something, but if you're now air frying all of your foods, you may want to consider perhaps still cooking some food with some water or broth or moisture present or adding some vinegar or lemon juice to it to reduce the production of advanced glycation end products. The third suggestion I gave back in this episode 150 was to consume food sources of omega-3 fatty acids, but to avoid cooking these foods on high heat as well. So to consume foods like walnuts, flaxseed, chia seed, salmon, and sardines, but to not overcook or roast these at high temperatures. The reason being is because omega-3 fatty acids are really sensitive and fragile to heat. And if we expose them to really high heat, those omega-3 fatty acids might turn into lipid peroxides. And lipid peroxides are known to induce inflammation as well. In general, other polyunsaturated fatty acids found in oils like canola oil, peanut oil, corn oil, soybean oil, it is not great to fry with these oils as they are fairly high in polyunsaturated fatty acids as well, meaning that heat can turn those fatty acids into lipid peroxides, which again can induce inflammation and oxidative stress in our body, which is linked to a plethora of conditions like arthritis, heart disease, dementia, major depressive disorder, etc. So let's say we're cooking and we're going to saute our food with an oil. The question is what oil are we going to choose? My recommendation is to choose an oil that is low in polyunsaturated fatty acids. So for example, a great oil to saute with would be olive oil, avocado oil, or coconut oil, for example. 
If you want more details and references on that episode, you can go back to episode 150. So in summary of episode 150, if I had to come up with three easy nutrition strategies to promote brain health and mental health, it would be to eat magnesium-rich foods, to reduce our intake of advanced glycation end products, and to meet to eat food sources of omega-3 fatty acids while avoiding the production of lipid peroxides. So now, what was the top most listened to episode on the People Scientist podcast of 2023? It was episode 140, the neuroscience of starting over. Again, I'm a little bit surprised that this was the most popular episode, but I'm really happy that it was because it tells me that perhaps a lot of you listening to this this show may be going through that moment in your life when you're starting over and perhaps this episode really spoke to you. Starting over is something that all of us are going to have to do at different points in our life. That can be starting a new job, moving to a new city, starting a new relationship, starting a new hobby, etc. In this episode, I provide three strategies to help us start over at that point in our life. This includes, for example, number one, I said, overcoming our fear of rejection and our fear of failure is really key to us starting over. That we should be working toward being comfortable with the fact that rejection is a normal part of life. That we shouldn't look at rejection or failure as something that is an obstacle, but an opportunity to learn and to pivot in another direction. For example, imagine the top sports teams in their sport. Like think of basketball, football, hockey, baseball. The teams that win, that are the best, still lost a significant portion of their games. And what really determines the, those that win at the top and that those who don't win is who can adapt to the losses, who can learn from them, and who can look at that as an opportunity to grow as opposed to an opportunity to be sad and give up. And so hopefully we can learn from athletes and sports teams are at the top of their field and know that it's okay to have a loss, to have a failure, to be rejected. So let me give a tangible example for all of us. Let's say that we have a job and we are going to ask our boss for a raise and they say no. Well, we have a couple of options here. We could just leave, be upset and take it personally. Or first we can appreciate that a lot of the times rejection is not personal and actually has to do with a lot of extraneous variables that have nothing to do with us. And two, we can learn to adapt and somehow still try to find a yes in that situation. So let's go back to that example. Let's say our boss says no to the raise. We could respond by inquiring. May I ask the reason behind saying no? Let's say your boss says, well, it's just not in the funds. It's not in the budget. Okay. What else could benefit our life besides a raise? Perhaps we can ask, may I have an additional week of vacation then? Our boss may have a harder time saying no to that one now because giving us vacation does not necessarily have to do with the funds being available. So my first tip to starting over is for us to be okay with rejection, for us to be okay with hearing no, and instead of walking away from that no, learning to adapt with it and learning to grow and understanding that it's okay sometimes to have that failure and that loss. The second suggestion that I gave in this episode of starting over 
is to increase our self-confidence, which has to do with our dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Now, in order to increase our self-confidence, which is to increase our belief that we can accomplish something with success, we can do that a few different ways. We can start that by doing what we call positive self-referential processing, which is really just positive self-talk and positive labeling of our emotions. The second is what else recruits the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex, which also is responsible for our self-confidence? Well, the other things that involve that brain region are to plan out things, to make decisions, and to make goals. It's goal-oriented behavior is what controls that brain region or what that brain region controls. So, for example, let's say our goal is to become more fit. Well, instead of making that goal, let's engage our dorsolateral prefrontal cortex even more and let's start making decisions, let's start planning. So instead of saying, I'm gonna, going to become more fit, we could say, I'm going to look for a new dance studio. I'm gonna choose a dance class that I like and I'm gonna sign up for a dance class twice a week on Mondays and Wednesdays, that is at 6.30 p.m. And then at the end of every dance class, I'm going to record myself dancing the choreography so that I can watch my progress and I can see may maybe where I can improve upon. And I share other tips in this episode like becoming familiar with the new space that we are moving to can be really helpful as well. So for example, let's say we're, say we're starting a new job if we can somehow get to that space where we're going to work, looking at the space and planning out our route before our first day can really help increase our comfortability and our confidence on our first day. The third tip that I gave has to do with number two, very related, which is creating goals and instilling new habits. So instead of having a to-do list, creating a calendar with specific goals of when we plan to do those certain tasks. In this episode, I also speak about tips rooted in neuroscience to break old habits if there's old habits that we want to get rid of as we start over too. This is actually something I've studied quite a bit in preclinical research in my last position as well. So if this topic interests you, I encourage you to go back and give episode 140 a listen, especially if you or someone you love is at a point where they are starting over a new chapter in their life. So that is a wrap, my people scientist army. Thank you so much for coming along with me for nearly five years on the People Scientist podcast. In February of 2024, it will officially be five years since I've been doing this podcast. Many of you listening right now have been listeners from the very beginning when I started out this show. And I initially started this show just for my family and thought, hey, if anyone else starts to listen in, then how amazing that would be. So the information I share here, I sh ensure it is heavily evidence-based because I think of me sharing this information with my family and I would not want to share anything that was questionable with the people that I care most about. And you listening right now, yes, you, you have joined in on this community of people that I care most about. So thank you for being a part of that. Now, as many of you know, I do not accept sponsors or ads for this podcast as I want to stay as unbiased and uninterrupted as possible. So if you by chance want to help support the show and the costs of me producing the show by buying me a coffee to say, hey, thanks for the episode, you can do that via Patreon, Venmo, or buymecoffee.com. And I thank you so much for that. And thank you to the people who have in the past and continue to support the show. It means a lot to me. If you by chance want to see the papers that I cite in each episode, 
For extra tidbits of information, you can follow me on social media. My handles are in the description box to this episode. So I hope you all have a wonderful holiday break. Thank you for hanging out with me as I count down the three top episodes of 2023. And I can't wait to see what episodes I come up with in 2024. And I can't wait to share all of that with you. So I hope you all have a wonderful holiday break. And I'll see you next year. Bye for now. I'm a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of William and Mary and their affiliates. Thank you.